0: Good morning everybody, good to see you all, just um, come back from Scotland, the team is still up there, 19 19 members of the team went on a jolly to Scotland, and and, uh, it's been wonderful serving the churches in in Dundee and Perth, doing a great job up there, and um, uh, Marco's been preaching this morning, Sarah Collins has been preaching this morning, and they're just giving away all that God's done, so it's just been a privilege to be up there, but it's great to be back here and to see all your lovely faces. Um, this morning, um, I'm starting a, a two-week um, mini-series on tuning in. We do this every so often when we just give the speaker an opportunity to share what they particularly feel like God's speaking to them about at the moment for the church. And this morning, I, um, I'm, I feel like God has spoken to me about talking to us about unity. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about it in a minute, but I want to start with a story where I got... Uh, the whole unity thing horribly wrong. I don't know if you know this, but several years ago I used to lead the youth group here at the King's Arms, our innovation youth group. We actually came up with the name. um, Still going strong. And um, uh, I used to lead the youth group probably about 15 to 20 young people at that time. And uh, we'd had this um, uh, situation in the church where the elders had come up with some goals for the church family for that year, I think it was. Uh, I think it was PJ and Simon, I don't know if anyone else is in the mix. They'd come up with these goals, I think specifically I remember, how many people do we want to see saved, how many people do we want to see baptised? And uh, they asked different people who led different areas to come up with dreams to contribute to that figure so that we could add all the numbers together because youth work obviously would be part of that and they asked me to go back to the young people for us to dream together. How many people do we want to see saved? How many people do we want to see baptised? And we'll kind of add it into the mix. But the way I presented the information to the young people was not very good (laughs) really because of pride in my heart. I remember going to them and saying, guys, we've come up with with these goals for the church. They've asked us to contribute our own goals to add in the mix. I think we can do a bit better and have a bit more faith with the goals that we present. What do you think? Maybe we should up the numbers a little bit kind of thing. I don't remember word for word, but that was kind of the heart behind what I was saying. And so we came up with this stuff, and we, we pulled out really good numbers out the bag. I can't even remember now if we prayed. We probably did, but anyway, my heart was not in a very good place. And we pulled, pulled these numbers out the bag, presented them in, and thought, yeah, come on, YouthWorks work's leading the way kind of thing. Anyway, uh, a few weeks later, one of the parents of one of the young people came to me and said, Wendy, I just wonder, could you keep an eye on so-and-so? We've just noticed over the last few weeks that sh- that they are um, they're just having a bit of a, a superior attitude when it comes to talking about the church, and um, they're just kind of saying things that we don't know where it's come from, but they're kind of saying things that makes it seem like the youth group is a bit separate and a bit like superior to the rest of the church. We don't know where it's come from, but could you keep an eye out for it for me, and I was like... Oh, no, I know where it's come from. I didn't say that, obviously. I just said, oh, yeah, of course, I'll I'll keep an eye out for you. Oh, dear. Um, But I knew the Holy Spirit convicted me, massively convicted me, and um, I knew that it had come from me. This, This young person had picked up this stuff from me, and so I knew I had to do something about this. And I had a meeting coming up with Paul and Simon, so I need to tell them what's happened and just ask for their forgiveness. And uh, and, then, and then go to the young people and ask for their forgiveness as well. So I remember at this meeting, sitting in this meeting in Simon and Caroline's front room, sweating for the whole time, thinking, I need to say this terrible thing I've done. Anyway, I just said to them at the end, this is what I've done. This is how I presented it. This is the impact it's had. Really sorry, would you forgive me? And they were very, very gracious. I said, I'm going to go to the young people and I'm going to get us all collectively to repent together. So I went back to the young people when we, when we met, I was just honest with them about where my heart had been, and I said, guys, the way I've led you has not been right, and we've, pride has come in, and we, we've seen ourselves uh, as a super, in, super, in a superior way, and we need to repent, and I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And we all just spent some time repenting together, and then we worshipped God. And it was the most amazing time of worship I think I've ever had with the young people because God's presence just rushed in. It was absolutely incredible. And I realized in that moment that I had experienced firsthand the truth of Psalm 133. And it says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows, and other commentaries say, there God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. The truth is that where God sees unity, he commands a blessing. And in this instance that I've just explained, the blessing was his manifest presence turning up and meeting with us. And I felt God speak to me about just tuning in to look at the whole subject of unity this morning, and it's we're we're living in a season where maybe more than ever it's important as a church we focus on this and look at how we intentionally pursue it because we're in a season where there's political unrest and the political situation is causing causing hostility and division. Um, There's increasing terror and conflict in other nations in the world. Um, There's division over race and culture and increasingly division in families. And I think more than ever as a church, we need to pull together as family and model and demonstrate unity to the world around us. Because where God sees unity, he commands a blessing. And the truth is we're living as a church family with incredible promises over us. Incredible things God has spoken over us, but I really believe that one of the key catalysts to us stepping into those promises that God has spoken over us is us learning to increasingly pull together as family together, going on the journey together, cheering each other on and having each other's backs as we step into what God's called us to. Because God, where God sees unity, he commands a blessing. And the blessing that God commands... Can look like many different things. His manifest presence breaking in, his kingdom advancing, promises being fulfilled. And the reality is that the blessing that God commands isn't just for our benefit as a church family, it's for the benefit of this town and this nation and the nations of the world. You know, when it says that where where God sees unity, he commands a blessing, it's not just a nice idea There's a a spiritual something that happens when God spots unity, where he pours out his blessing, not just for our sake, but for the sake of our town and this nation, the nations of the world. Because wherever we go, the blessing we have received, we get to give away to everyone we meet. And so I just want to look at, very simply, a couple of ways we can intentionally focus on pulling together more as church family and going deeper in this whole era of unity. Before I do that, just to qualify though, unity doesn't mean that everyone agrees with everyone or looks exactly the same. Thank the Lord for that. (laughs) Isn't that good news? You know, it's actually possible to disagree with someone and still maintain unity, because it's a matter of the heart. And what unity says is, irrespective of our differences, fundamentally, we're all in the same boat. All of us at one time didn't know Jesus. All of us have been called by him and stepped into a relationship with him by grace. And all of us are on this mission to see the, the, the nations of the world transformed by the kingdom of God breaking in. Irrespective of our differences, we're all in the same boat. And just just to say, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you haven't given your life to Jesus, it's so great to have you with us. And uh, we would love to have the opportunity to introduce you to him at the end of the meeting. So, how can we grow in unity together? Two things. First is this. Thank God for each other. Yeah. Thank God for each other. The Apostle Paul is a real provocation to me in this. I don't know if you've ever skimmed through the letters he wrote through the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. And pretty much every letter he starts by thanking God for the people that he's writing to. Let me just do a, a little quick tour. It's Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Ephesians 1, 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1, 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Isn't that amazing? I feel a bit sorry for the Galatians. <laughs> I don't get that. He's basically pulled straight in at challenging the legalism they've fallen into. But, but everyone else, I thank God for all of you. I always thank God for you in my remembrance of you. It's such a provocation to me. And you know, this thanksgiving of Paul's wouldn't have just been lip service. It wasn't just a nice way to start a letter It would have come from his heart, deep down in his heart, a genuine delight in the people he was writing to and thanking God for them. And it wasn't as if the churches didn't have any faults, they did, and Paul did challenge those, but right at the outset, it was a case, oh, I thank God for all of you, and a genuine thanksgiving in his heart. I wonder how your letter would read if you were writing to the king's arms or to other churches you're connected to. Maybe something like this. I thank God for most of you. And only some of the time when I remember to think about it. But there are some of you who actually get on my nerves a bit and I kind of wish you'd change so that you were more like me. Anyone, anyone, maybe just me. You see, the truth is it's often easier to thank God for the people who are more like us. People who are more like you, you tend to understand more because you know how they're wired and you know how they tick. It's not as easy to thank God for the people who are different to you, who have different opinions, different ways of doing things, and who are wired differently. But here's the truth. Every single person in this church family that God has put around me is a gift to me. And every single person that God has put around you in this church family is a gift to you. The people who are like you and the people who are really different to you. And the reality is that God has got really precious things that he wants to give to us and he wants us to receive from the brothers and sisters that he's put around us in this church family. And it's thanksgiving in our hearts for each other that opens our hearts up to receive what God wants to give us through those around us. It's thanksgiving for each other that opens us up to be available to receive the gifts that God wants to give us through those around us. (coughs) Let me illustrate it to you with some string. So, Rebecca, can you come and grab one of these? And Carol, I'll give you one because it's your birthday. Happy birthday! And then go back to your seat. Go back. Go, just take it back to your seat, and let's give one to Lisa. Yeah, I have to unroll it a bit, Carol, Otherwise, you're going to pull me off the stage. All right? Lisa, come grab this one. she was like, going for it then. And Steve, Stephen, come and grab this. Oh, sorry. Okay, now pull it, pull it. Oh dear! Don't, don't take his head off. Oh, have we? Have we? There you go. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> You can do it, yes, okay. So hold it, hold it kind of near your heart, okay. So what thanksgiving does is it opens our hearts up to receive from the people around us. So when I thank God for Rebecca or Carol or Lisa or Stephen, my heart goes open to a place of being able to receive from them and learn from them and to receive them as a gift to me. And as long as they're thankful for me, then that goes both ways. And we're able to receive from each other. And what it does is it connects us to each other. So thanksgiving in our hearts for each other means that we stay connected and there's unity. Now, if thanksgiving is the thing that opens our hearts up to receive from each other, one of the key things that will stop us receiving from each other and shut our hearts down is judgment. Judgment is a killer when it comes to unity. Keep holding them. We're going we're to keep going. When we judge people... What happens is we put ourselves in a superior position when we look at someone's life, and we look at how they live, and decisions they make and choices they make. When we judge them, we put ourselves in a superior position, and we assume that our way of doing things, and the way we live our lives, and the decisions that we are making are the right ones. And we judge other people. We put ourselves in this superior position. We judge the decisions they make and how they live their lives. What happens is when we judge other people, what it does is it shuts our hearts off to receiving from that person and to receiving all that God wants to give us through those people. And it creates division and it brings disunity. Whenever we judge, so if I judge Rebecca for something she's done, what it does is it severs the connection between me and her And me be able to receive from her. If I judge Lisa for something she's done, it severs the connection between me and her and my heart gets shut down to her. Thanks guys. Very good. The sad the sad thing is that we can judge people for a whole load of different things. Let me just give you some examples. The way they worship God, the way they meet with the Holy Spirit, the way they spend their time or their money, their political opinions, the way they dress the way they lead in the church, the way, they, the way they raise their kids, and the list goes on and on and on. And what judgment does is it puts up walls between us and other people. The walls that Jesus knocked down when he died on the cross and rose again, we start to rebuild, and it brings disunity and division. Judgment causes division and leads to disunity. Where God sees unity, he commands a blessing. Where God sees unity, he commands a blessing. I don't know about you, but I want the blessing of God in this church family. What's going to bring it? Unity. Thanking God for each other, keeping our hearts wide open to learn and receive from each other. I just want to take a moment before we move on for us to just listen out to the Holy Spirit for any judgments that are in our hearts that he wants to just put his finger on. It's very easy to hear this kind of thing and think, oh yeah, that's a good point, but then not do anything with it. So just take a moment, maybe shut your eyes. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this church family, and I thank you so much for everyone in this church family. And Father, thank you that you've got us on a journey together. And I pray, God, that you would just speak to us now, but any judgments that are in our hearts so that we can Repent of them, change our thinking, and reestablish connection with those around us. We want to be a family going after the stuff you've called us to together with no division and no disunity. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for speaking. Thank you, Father. And just to say guys, if, if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something, it's not, you don't need to feel condemned, there's no condemnation, but what I would say is just take some time out to be with Jesus and just confess it to him, repent for that judgment. You might, you might want to go and speak to the person or it might, might not be necessary, but once you repent, what happens is that connection gets restored and your heart opens up again as we thank God for each other. So that's the first thing. Thank God for each other. The second thing I think that will help us as we go after unity in this season is to do with a phrase that God gave me a few months ago now uh, where he said to me, I was just processing some stuff with him, and he just said to me, Wendy, don't fill the void. Don't fill the void. And I will explain to you in a minute what he was talking about. Before we do that, I just want to celebrate our brains our brain is, your brain is an amazing organ. I had no idea quite how amazing my brain was until I did some research this week, but let me tell you about it. Apparently, in the States, the scientists have recently discovered the human brain has a capacity that is 10 times greater than first thought and can retain 4.7 billion books. It's big, isn't it? 4.7 billion books. When I read that, first of all, really, I was just felt convicted about the lack of brain usage that I'm using <laughs> in my brain for. Oh, my goodness. I must be using about 1% of my brain. Um, isn't that incredible? Incredible ability to retain information. On top of that, the brain, on top of the brain's capacity to retain information, it's estimated that our brains handle around 70,000 thoughts a day. Which, which explained a lot for me. Uh, 3,000 thoughts per hour, which means 50,000 thoughts per minute. That's a massive deal, isn't it? 3,000 thoughts an hour, 50, 50 thoughts, 50 thoughts, 50 thoughts per minute. And when I read these statistics, I realized afresh why Paul said to the church in Rome, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and why when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he encouraged them, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our thoughts are really powerful. And what Paul is saying is that with the 3,000 thoughts you have a day, it's possible to either think about these good things or think about the opposite of these things that don't bring so much life or positivity. And he's saying, I'm telling you, think about these things. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, don't think about the other things. And The the reality is that it's possible for our 3,000 thoughts that we have every day, either to push us more into connection with each other and more into unity, or to push push us away from each other and develop disunity. And God said to me as I was processing some stuff recently, don't fill the void, and let me explain what he means. Have you ever come away from a conversation and gone over that conversation in your mind about how it went? Put your hand up if you've ever reassessed a conversation. So you go over the things that you said, you go over the things that they said, you draw draw conclusions about how they found the conversation, you think about um, the facial expression they made halfway through the conversation and you kind of assess what that might have meant and you draw some conclusions about what they meant when they made that particular body, body language th- pose uh, as, you, as you were talking to them. And what you do is you come out of the conversation with a whole lot of information you don't know about. There's a void of information, but you begin to fill that void with your own version of events of what has happened. There's a whole lot of information you don't know about when you've had this conversation, there's and there's a void of information, Rather than leaving it like that, we begin to make up our own version of events, and we fill the void with our own story, our own version of events that we think have taken place. We make assumptions about what the other person thinks about us, and thinks about that conversation. Anyone relate? What's even more sad is that we then often start to behave towards that person based on the story of events we have made up in our own minds. So if we have assessed the conversation and filled the void with information where we come out seeming negative, like the person didn't really want to talk to us after all, we will respond to that information that we have made up by withdrawing from the person and not engaging in conversation with them. And what that does is that it brings disunity. And there are so many interactions on a daily basis that we have where there is a void of information, where we don't know information, and it's possible to fill that void with stuff that we make up. Let me give you some examples. An email we get from someone where we can't know the tone of what they're saying. Sending a text to someone and them not responding people's body language and facial expressions, not being invited to a particular event, a social gathering or a meeting, reading someone's opinion about something on Facebook, and not being able to ask them about it. And where there's a void of information, what's really important as we pursue unity unity together as a family is that we don't fill that void with our own version of events that then causes us to take a step back from the people around us. I've got to give you a couple of things that you can do instead to help maintain unity. The first one is this. Be honest with the people around you about the stuff that you're feeling, the stuff that you're thinking about the situation you've just experienced, so that if you do fill the void, at least you're filling it with accurate information. Be honest about how you're feeling, so that if you do fill the void, at least you fill it with accurate information. I remember when I came back from um, Oklahoma, I'd been back for about a week, and I was due to go to a prophetic meeting that Phil was running, and the date had been in the diary for a very long time, but I was pretty tired, and uh, I, I, I thought I really should go to this meeting because it's been in the diary a long time. I've been out of the country for two and a half months. I really should get back into things here, but I was actually feeling really tired and feeling a bit sick. And so I I thought to myself, what is the kindest thing I could do for myself here? And I thought, well, what the kindest thing is I could probably do is is not go to the meeting, but I was nervous. And I was nervous that if I didn't go to the meeting, Phil would think I wasn't really committed. That's where my brain started to go. That's where one of my 3,000 thoughts started to go. But if I I don't go to this meeting, Phil's going to think I'm not committed. So I text him, but in order to cut the rabbit trail right at the beginning, I text this. I can't come to the meeting. I think the lie I'm believing is that you'll think I'm not being committed. I know that's not true, but I wanted to speak it out to break its power. So I text this to Phil right up front so that I didn't go down this massive rabbit trail. And I kind of sent the text and was like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Is he going to text back? What's he going to say? There was a void of information. Okay, listen to yourself, Wendy. Don't fill the void. Just trust. Trust, trust that it feels okay. Then he texts back, no problems at all. Rest up. I was like, oh, he hasn't mentioned the lie. <laughs> ah, is it okay? Is it okay? What's he, does he really mean that? Does he really mean there's no problem at all? Should, does he really think I should rest up or is he thinking, you should really be here because you're not being very committed? And I kind of just went, and I thought, no, stop it. Stop it. Had to kind of discipline my thoughts. Stop going there. And then about half an hour later, he texts again. I meant to say before, well done for batting away those lies. We and I value, value you so much, it is so good to have you back. Rest well, my friend. Ah! So grateful. <laughs> well done, Phil. Now listen, if I hadn't been honest with Phil about where my thoughts might go, the likelihood is next time I saw him, I, I would be behaving towards him, believing he thinks I'm not committed. What would, what would that do? put a barrier up between me and him, and I would take a relational step back, because I'm operating out of my thought that that isn't correct. So by saying it out, right at the beginning, right at the alpha offset, it cut off the potential for there to become disunity between us. Now, obviously, if you start putting yourself out there and asking people questions and say, did you really mean this? Or when you did this, I kind of felt like this. Sometimes the information you've put in the void is actually going to be true. I'm just saying, okay? Sometimes if you begin to put yourself out there, sometimes the information is actually going to be true. But in those instances, it's a great opportunity to press into Jesus and your your identity in him and to make what God thinks about you much more important than what anyone else thinks about you. And if you put yourself out there and there is an issue, you can then begin the process of reconciliation, apologizing, receiving forgiveness, all that kind of stuff, to to restore unity together. And obviously, there is not going to be possible for you to ask the question of people every time there's a void of information, otherwise I'd be doing it pretty much every email I receive. You can't do that. Did you really mean, you know, you can't, you can't go there. That is, that is not healthy. I would say the second thing that's really important to help keep unity among us in that instance is to just believe the best. Believe the best about the people around you. Believe your history with them. Believe the best about their heart towards you. Now, if Phil hadn't responded with the second text, my responsibility would be to believe the best that he actually means, when he says it's no problem, that he actually means there's no problem. If there is a problem, he comes and speaks to me about the problem. But to believe in that moment, okay, Phil said there's no problem. Okay, I'm not going to go on this rabbit trail of, did he really mean it's no problem? He put probs, didn't put problem. <laughs> Does he really mean it's no problem? You know, all this kind of stuff, which causes you to take steps back, rather than maintain connection. Believe the best. If someone doesn't text you back immediately, believe the best. If you're not invited to a social gathering or a meeting, believe the best about the person who's done the inviting. Trust them. Trust your history with them. And I just want to say, if you know that you're someone who's prone to filling the void with your 3,000 thoughts every day, I I'll encourage you like Paul did to the church in Philippi. Whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Train your brain, train your thoughts to think about these things. And don't go there with the other stuff that might not be true anyway and often isn't so that we can maintain unity together as a church family. I believe God is calling us in this season to... Go deeper in our understanding what it means to be family together and to pursue unity, where we would cheer each other on, thank God for each other, open our hearts up to receive the gift that each other we are to each other, and to not fill the void with stuff that would cause us to take a relational step back, yeah. but to deal with that stuff so that we can keep being unified together and going on the journey God has called us to as a church family and inheriting all the promises God has spoken over us and receiving the blessing that he commands when he sees unity.